Oh, hey there. It's Tristra at Music Tectonics. You caught me here in the Music Tectonics Ski Lodge, cuddling up with a cozy blanket, drinking some cocoa, you know, enjoying the winter holidays, as I hope you and yours are. Oh, but you're expecting a podcast episode. Well, you know, it is the perfect time to look back over the year. So why don't we pull up one of our favorites from June 2022, The Magic of Music Tech with Dr. Kate Stone. I really love this episode. Not only is Dr. Stone incredibly knowledgeable about music innovation and all the technological and technical sides of it, but she has this incredible imagination and a really beautiful way of relating to life and the world, including going on long walks, spending time in nature, all the things uh, that are often super inspiring for me personally, and I hope will have a similar effect on you. Dr. Stone has a lot coming up in 2023, and you should definitely follow her on her website, drkatestone.com. That's all one word, and that's DR, not the full word doctor. She's going to be speaking uh, in a variety of different contexts and places and events about understanding what makes humans happy and what helps us and our environment thrive. She'll be considering how we could use insights to shape our future and the role technology plays in it. So as a little warm up, Let's listen to this wonderful conversation between Dr. Stone and Dimitri Vitsim, a co-host. You get to hear all about how Dr. Stone has made music with paper, about her views on the future of humans and technology, and importantly, what sheep herding has in common with physics research. It's a wild ride, and it's totally worth it. Have a very, very happy end of the year and a great 2023. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Crazy Pants, Dimitri Vitsa, CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm that specializes in music innovation, music technology, all cool things happening in the music industry. And we like to bring you the crazy stuff. I think I finally found a Crazy Pants guest to join me, somebody that's thinking in the same crazy ways as me. Today, I've got with me the founder and CTO of Navalia. That's the name of the company. This is Dr. Kate Stone. How are you, Kate? I am good. Are you saying I'm crazy? I I don't know. Let's find out. That's what we'll <laughs> that'll be the evaluation based on this. But in the, the rock, paper, scissors, music tectonics world, crazy pants is not just a style, it's a way of life. We talk about our dress style is business crazy, and we try to operate that well too. And I know you guys are at the rattle. Um, and that is another place that has a kind of a business crazy approach. Yeah, it is. I I have been hanging out there causing disturbance um, every now and again. So, yeah. So when I see something from Nivellia, my jaw drops. Before we get into the company, Kate, tell us about one of the projects specifically that you spearheaded so our listeners get a sense of the waters you swim in. Um, I think still one of my favorite things is when I made the DJ decks from a piece of card. Um. It was when it was the first time I spoke at TED, which was back in 2013. I wanted to, to make something with a piece of paper that you would not expect a piece of paper to do. Not because I thought it was useful or practical, but because it would take people's minds to an extreme place of like, whoa, how did you do that with that? And then their minds can relax a little bit and do things that are less crazy, slightly more practical. And I thought it'd be really fun if I had a piece of card that I could pull out that had an image of some DJ turntables and a crossfader 
and you know some other buttons that I could use to DJ. So um, I made that happen against my colleagues' belief that it was possible, <laughs> um, and I went on stage and I DJed with a piece of card um, in the TED talk. Um, I also had a little piece of card that when I touched would um, trigger sound effects um, because I'm a terrible DJ and terrible DJs need an air horn. So, you know, yeah, I could do a bad mix and then go, bah, 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 which also turns out to be really useful when a bear is attacking you in the night. But that's another story. Mm. Um, and, and when Mark Ronson did his TED talk, he sampled other TED talks. So I can claim that I've been sampled by Mark Ronson. <laughs> nice. So this was literally like a piece of paper, cardboard, something like cardstock that had a picture of turntables and crossfaders that when you used your hands on them, you could actually DJ. Yeah, so there's an image, there's two turntable images, and when you spin your finger on the image, it Bluetooth controls DJ software that causes the sound in the whole room to do a spin back, or you know, or you can do the crossfader and it causes it to crossfade. And then DJ Kubert saw that. He's probably one of the best scratch DJs in the world. And he messaged and said, Hey, can you do my album cover? So we did one and a half thousand presses um, of album. Well, we didn't press the vinyl, but we did the album, we printed the vinyl. Mm -hmm. cover in the uk um and so and we made it so you could slide out this piece of card from his album um and bluetooth connect and dj with that and then who else saw that so wait that so 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 what you're saying is the app the, the 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 vinyl came out the the dust sleeve the the actual artwork on the album was playable through bluetooth yep nice okay you're gonna say somebody else saw that and then pizza hut saw that and then they wanted us to turn the pizza box into DJ decks. So we did, we did a bunch of those. So um, if ever you want to like, you know, drop some cheesy beats, <laughs> that's what you do with the pizza box. Of course <laughs> you DJ with the pizza box. Like why? Because when I was a kid, that's what I imagined. I just, when I was a kid, I wanted to build a remote control that could control everything. I always wanted to have the TV remote, but I wanted everything around me to be magical and connected. I used to run wires in my bedroom and little speakers and switches and connect things. I hid radio transmitter in a book. I was fascinated by wireless and by what that could do. But like, I love the tech, but what I'm fascinated about is human experience, like creating experiences that trigger emotions in other human beings. The tech bores the shit out of me. <laughs> but the idea of using tech to create magical experiences, that's more like Mary Poppins. Like, that's what I want to create. I want to like, you know, it, my dream would be to be the Mary Poppins of technology. What if I everything think you might be magical? <laughs> and I yes. dreamt of a kid and that's what I do now. It's like, there's like a playfulness to it. It's sort of like, how can you turn this into something that's as fun as anything, you know, as fun as anything else, more fun than anything else. So it's, yeah, why not? It's a, yeah. I mean, it's funny you say you hate technology because um, I, I sent my microphones away for the NAM conference, which is taking place shortly mm, when we're recording yeah. here. And um, so I had to set up another mic for our conversation today. I did not love plugging in, figuring out how this USB mic was going to work and all this kind of stuff. But I'm loving the conversation. So so it's yeah. it's funny. It's not the technology, but the technology certainly enabled it. So you told us about one way in which you kind of early on started playing with this idea of how do you turn paper and image, this sort of other art form, this tactile slash graphic design component into this playful, playable way. Give us another example, something that's very different from the, the turntables that landed on um, on an album cover or a Pizza Hut box. What was, an, what was another one that you've done? So um, 
I made a magical amulet for the the Disney the different Disney TV series. Um, was that Disney? What's, what was she called? It was a Disney TV series, and this kid and she had this magical amulet. And when she t- when she talks to it, um, it, it answers her and it connects to the animals and stuff. Well, some people from the company making the toys for Disney asked if that was possible, and I said, yeah. Sure, I had no idea how to do it, but I figured it out and I made these little cards that had conductive ink in. And when he slotted the cards into the amulet, the amulet would reveal the wise Disney words. Well, they weren't that wise, to be honest, but. Hey. <laughs> so I made that. And then. Um, a, it was a smart up, necklace. Yeah, a smart <laughs> necklace for Princess Sophia II. That was a TV show. Uh-huh. Um, I. Um, I I once was on stage with Bootsy Collins at Moakfest. That was fun. I did a jam with Bootsy, Mark Mothersbaugh. Um, who else was there? Malcolm Mooney. We did this jam and Bootsy was playing bass on my notebook. You know, like a paper notebook? Hmm. I made it. I have a piano on the cover of the notebook. Um, because I, I, made a, I made a notebook for songwriters. Um, because it, and it turns out that notebooks are supposed to play notes. So, um, I thought I'd make one that really plays notes. So you can be writing your song and then you've got an idea of the lyrics and then you have an idea of the tune. Why not fold out the cover of the book and be able to play on the paper that connects to your phone. And then in your headset, you hear, um, you hear the notes and then you on the book, you can press record and then it records it on your phone. Um, and then the, all that sits together. So I did that. So Bootsy had the notebook and he was playing bass. And then I had my baseball cap on and my baseball cap Bluetooth connects to the sound system and triggers air horns, gunshots, um, laser sounds, whatever. So, you know, I just want to touch my hat. Like why would a DJ not want to touch the hat and trigger? I need a hat like sounds? that. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Um, what else have I done? I made walls. So I love like taking the stems of a song pulling them apart, taking the stems, throwing them on the wall. So now you have a beautiful image on the wall. Maybe it's like flowers. And maybe when you touch a petal on a flower, it triggers a drum loop. And then you touch the next petal on the same flower and it triggers it triggers the next drum loop, quantized. And then you've got another flower that triggers the synths. Another flower does the vocals. And the center of the flower stops those particular loops. So now anyone can do a remix of a song and you can listen to a song from the inside and out. And it turns out that a song can go forever so long as it's not repetitive. Mm-hmm. Listen to the same song for two hours. You do not get bored of it. But if you don't, keep playing with the wall. So that that was really fun. And um, more recently, the, <clears throat> there were some paper guides in the Smithsonian Museum in the Arts and Industries building, which is the original Smithsonian Museum on the mall. I'm losing my voice, sorry. <clears throat> Too much partying at the weekend. <laughs> and this paper guide for the Futures exhibit that's on at the moment um, on the mall, it has an image of the museum. It's like a, It looks like a star map. And when you touch different places on this paper guide, sound comes out of the guide and speaks to you and tells you about the different exhibits. And we did it in five languages. So it's in Spanish, English, French, Arabic and Mandarin. And the idea is, is that someone can go to the museum from a different country, pick up a guide and touch that guide. And it speaks to them magically like Mary Poppins in their language, as if their language is the first language. And that's what we wanted to create. So we made these ordinary paper objects that magically talk to you. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, super cool. Lots of different examples there. I, I mean, I've, I've seen you mentioned the Pizza Hut thing. I've seen there have been some other like brand activations. Is there one more that kind of would be an example that shows how a brand would engage their customer base in a musical way through something you guys built out for them? Sure. Yeah. So there's lots. Um, <clears throat> one that comes to mind um, makes me feel blue, actually. But because it was in Memphis and it was Ikea and Ikea were opening a new store in Memphis and they wanted to send out 300 invitations to to customers to kind of get them to come to the store. So we made like a little box, a little cardboard box. Um, and when you lifted the lid on the cardboard box, it was like a pop up, you know, like a pop up storybook. Hmm. And it was a pop up of Beale Street in Memphis. And then so that popped up. So now you had a backdrop of a street. And then on it, there was these images of touch points and we sampled the sounds of the home. So chopping an onion, um, kitchen utensils, drum kit, tingling of coat hangers. And we ma we made these samples into a blues remix. So now you could touch this book, this box of a pop-up of Beale Street and trigger sounds of the home, which links to Ikea. Um of a blues soundtrack, which links to Memphis. So we kind of like tie the whole thing together. I mean, it's interesting because you're kind of doing custom, custom musical instruments that can weave in certain artistic ideas, certain musicians or, um, or certain brands. It really yeah. allows for that customization. Yeah. Cause music is a universal language and it brings people together and it brings people joy. So what's the technology behind these music for the masses musical experiences? How does it work? Okay, so what I what I do is I use existing technology and bring it together and combine it in a way that creates an experience that was not possible before. So it's really using things that already exist. So we use conductive ink. So we screen print conductive ink onto a sticker. Carbon conductive ink. Okay, explain. I don't even know what that is. Oh, so, okay. So carbon conducts electricity. And so we make an ink out of carbon. So it's a black ink, a black carbon ink that conducts electricity. And we screen print that, you know, the same sort of printing you use to print an album cover or some album covers or a T-shirt. We screen print that ink pattern onto a sticker. So now instead of wires, there's just ink. And that ink is in a design that, that covers the areas that would be the touch points as it's underneath. Mm -hmm. And then it has little lines that run all the way back. And then we have a little regular circuit board, a regular printed circuit board that has a chip on it. It has a Bluetooth chip on it. And that Bluetooth chip sends signals through the ink. It pushes electrons through the ink to the little pad. And, those, and then that charge, all those little electrons get pushed along by a voltage. And then the voltage stops and then they all ripple back as if it was like a flow like water. So you're kind of like bouncing these electrons up and down these conductive ink tracks. And if a human's hand is near, not necessarily touching, but near one of the pools where we've printed the ink, it creates a capacitance. And capacitance means capacity for more charge. And so all that charge that rushes up gets to linger there a little bit longer before it bounces back. And every time we do a pulse, we time how long it takes the pulse to come back. And so when it takes, you know, 30 microseconds longer, we're like, oh, someone must be touching that. That's how capacitive touch works. That's how the touch works on your iPhone. 
or your Android phone or whatever. That's how touch works on a touch screen. Um, and we just do that by printing carbon ink onto a sticker. And then we just laminate on a graphic, a regular, like a regular printed graphic on top. And now all you see is a normal image, a normal paper graphic image. But there's this other sticker underneath that's got these little signals going along. Um, yeah. So that's, that's how it works. Yeah. So yeah. the um, do, d does the design of the artwork have certain stipulations so that it, you so that it, quote it knows when you're pressing one signal versus another? So we run the tracks to a certain area. So say yeah. I mentioned the flowers and the petals, right? So we design a flower and then the circuit would, would look like the petals of a flower with an individual line coming off each petal and one right. coming off the middle one. And really the only requirement, a little bit like Ghostbusters, is don't cross the streams. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Okay, yeah, good, good. And then is it always connected to some sort of mobile app that it's triggering the, the music from? So either it connects to a mobile app or a laptop because it's Bluetooth, right? So we run Bluetooth MIDI. Um, and when I did the, um, when we did the DJ Kubert's album cover, that was when iPhone 4S was out. It was the first smartphone to have Bluetooth low energy on. And after that, Apple came out with iOS 8. And Apple basically created the Bluetooth MIDI standard um, which got approved by the MIDI Association. I then joined the MIDI Association just to get my hands on that document. That's the only reason I joined. Got it. Years ago. And then I ended up accidentally over the years, for some reason they liked me, I don't know why, um, I accidentally became, um, ended up becoming the chair of the board of the MIDI Association, which is what I still, still chair the board meetings now. Basically, I just stopped them fighting in the board meetings. That's my role. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's the amazing thing about standards. Standards allow different things to work together. That's the amazing thing about MIDI. You know, whether you love MIDI, hate MIDI, whatever, most people love MIDI. The fact that it exists and allows things to talk to each other allows us all as individuals to take our separate skills and create incredible things because people have taken the time to create standards. So we use Bluetooth MIDI to connect to a smartphone, but we also have the ones that don't use Bluetooth. We use a sound chip. And so the sounds are stored on the thing. We have a little circuit, a little speaker that connects and sticks on the back. And instead of a speaker, we use what's called a surface sound actuator, which sticks onto the back of the poster. And instead of a, so instead of a, a speaker with a cone, where the cone is, is a sticker and that sticks onto the poster. And now it makes the whole poster vibrate. Mm. And we normally on the posters have a two watt version, but when we did the walls at South by, we had 20 watt versions. So a whole wall is shaking with sound. You can feel the sound in your hands. I it's, love it. It's so cool. There's no speakers. The poster literally talks to you, which is pretty cool. Also working on, um, versions now for XR, for AR and VR. Um, and something I've been working on is the idea that you could say you have an album cover, you've got a VR headset on, in your hands you can feel a real album cover, you can feel a physical thing. In your headset, what you see is a digital version of that thing that's in your hands. And now when you touch the album cover, it knows where it's been touched because it can sense. It communicates to the headset where you've touched it. And now you'll suddenly see a three-dimensional hologram appear 
out of the surface of the album. I love it. And you'd see the band playing and you could touch it and trigger and cause different things happen. Or imagine that pizza box, right? You now physically hold a pizza box, physically real pizza box. What you see is digital. It's CGI. So what you might see in a Marvel movie, how can we make that happen for real? So we do that in VR. Imagine when we've got AR glasses. We can now touch the things around us and they can come to life and become magical. People do that with the cameras knowing where your hands are, but that doesn't work that well. It doesn't work at a very high resolution. And I'm calling these objects that we make sentient objects. And a sentient object is an object that can sense and communicate what it feels. So I think people misuse the word sentient. When they say sentient normally, sentient life, or is this animal sentient? They really mean sapient, because sapient means to think. We are homo sapiens, not homo sentients. Sentient means to feel. You know, a thermometer sentient, it can feel, but it can't tell you how it feels. You know, it can go, it's 32 degrees, instead of going, it's 32 degrees, and this makes me feel sad. That would be sapient. So yeah, sentient objects are objects that can sense and communicate what they feel. I, I love it because it sounds almost like you are programming paper. You're taking paper and ink and you're programming it. You're giving it information that then can obviously be fed with other technology into these reactions and interactions. And that paper was the interface and the ink and the paper was the interface you chose to use to make these musical instruments. And now to have it with AR and VR is super, super powerful. Um, really intrigued to hear that you're going in that direction, continuing to push the innovation. I am so curious, Kate, you mentioned that as a youngster, you like to just connect up wires and make magic happen. But how the hell did you get into this? Like, how did you go from playing with the stuff to building a business and doing all these amazing creative collaborations with artists and with brands? What got you here? Well, so yeah, I used to play with these things when I was a kid. And, you know, another example, so I was fascinated by wireless and radios, right? So back then there was obviously no internet, right? And you'd go on like the back page of like... um a magazine you know where you'd like buy and sell cars and stuff like that and they would sell like these radio transmitter kits so i bought one of those kits and i built my own radio transmitter with a little microphone that could transmit to your regular fm radio right i took my dad's favorite book which is captain hornblower i did the unthinkable i got a knife and i carved out the inside of the book i hid my radio transmitter inside cut a little hole for the microphone, hid the book next to my parents, crept off back to my bedroom, tuned in, and I listened. I heard things that cannot be unheard. So I regret that. But that's why the sort of things I did as a kid. I just thought that was normal. I thought it was normal and would never lead to anything. And then I needed to grow up. And then I ended up becoming, traveling the world and becoming a sheep farmer in Australia. And, and I worked on a sheep farm for several years, somehow got a job in a, I, I was in, I was in like an outback ghost town bar that I'd seen growing up featured in TV adverts to sell Australian beer that I thought wasn't a real place. I accidentally ended up in that bar and I said to someone, I need a job. And they said, can you ride a motorbike? And I was like, yeah, sure. Never ridden a motorbike in my life. Next thing you know, I was delivered by mail, by the, by the mailman to the um, farm 120,000 acre farm with 22,000 sheep. And I find myself riding a motorbike, doing that for several years, 
chasing sheep around, which turn out to be exactly like electrons, which is how I know how to move electrons around. You just, if you manipulate an environment, sheep do what you want. Same for electrons, same for people. Don't try and persuade anyone to do what you want. Change their environment and they'll accidentally do it. That's what I learned. And uh, I failed high school. So I had no high school qualifications and I ended up working on farms. And then I started to think back to my childhood, the things I did, the things I was fascinated by, which was electronics. And I became determined to go to college and I traveled back to the UK. I found my way to get into college without high school qualifications. I studied electronics. I thought everyone would be so smart and I'd be so dumb, but I got the best score in my year. And then Cambridge University offered to pay me to do a PhD in physics which was all about moving electrons around one by one, which is, I thought it's the same as a sheep. So my PhD was how to move individual electrons one by one and show that I could control them one at a time, which is what I did. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I did that. And then I met a professor um, at Cambridge who was starting a company looking at how to print transistors. So I joined that and I built their machines, I built their printers. I started to think about what that would mean if we could print circuits, if we could print transistors, if we could print batteries, print speakers, what would that mean for the future? What would that mean for a future where technology disappears and just everything that becomes ordinary old fashioned things, but somehow imbued with magic and somehow sentient. I did that for four years, left, started up Navalia in my garage, really with that vision. How can I make everyday objects magical, connected, sentient? How can we build a future that does not look like tech, where there are no computers, there are no smartphones? There's no, there's no tech in the future. There's just ordinary objects. And inside those ordinary objects is the magic of technology. And if you don't want it, you don't see it, you don't use it. If you do want it, when you need it, it's magically there. And that's why I believe the future will look more like the past than the present. The future will be magical, not technical. Oh, I love it. I love it. When smart speakers were coming onto the scene, there was this idea of when will we have this invisible ambient technology? Yeah. And we've it, right at the moment, right now, you see kids and everybody, adults, everybody on their phones all the time. We're all connected through our phones, our smart devices, whatever. But like you said, over time, yeah. you don't need those interfaces, right? No. As the technology gets smarter, as we get smarter about how we create the technology, the technology physically may disappear or blend into the background. Yeah. And a few years ago, I moved to Seattle for a few months to explore with Amazon how to create these paper surfaces and connect them into Amazon's Echo device. So not only could you use voice, you could be multimodal. You could also use touch. So we could print a light switch and stick it on the wall. We could print a, we could print a sticker of a keyboard and stick it on the table. And you could put a sticker on a medicine box and when you touch it it connects to amazon's echo i'm not saying the a word because she's near me she's mm -hmm. near me and it would cause things to happen and and we explored that for a while and i hope one day we will come back to creating those printed surfaces that connect to echo if you google six women behind amazon's alexa you'll see an article that mentions me too nice i explore all these things one day one day they will all happen so 
um, going back to to the present and Navalia, you're doing a lot of musical stuff mostly, and now you're start, starting to this mixed reality. Um, and so you've had a lot of these experiences where people have had a chance to put their hands on, literally put their hands on some of these music for the masses, musical instruments in these unexpected locations, in a pizza box, on a mural, on a banner, at a conference, at a festival, whatever. What's the appetite for this type of thing? I mean, you're painting a picture of this magic world in the future, but right now, are you know what 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 are you seeing as a signal that this is something that people are interested in? Hmm. That's a really good question. I mean, it's it's always hard to persuade people to be interested in something that they don't understand what it is, know about it, or know it's possible. That's a challenge. You know, we're not solving a problem that people have. Um, we're extending an experience that people can have. But what I do know is that when anyone sees or touches anything that I've created, there's only one thing I would want to film, and that's not the thing that I make. It's the smile and the joy that comes across someone's face. It's when I'm in a meeting and I demo something I've made, the first thing that person does is get up and leave the room, which is scary. And then they come back in with three more people and say, you have to see this. It's going to blow your mind. So seeing humans' reactions to the things that I make is is a good signal. But getting that into the mass market, getting the costs down low, it, 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 that's hard. You know, crossing that chasm is really, really challenging. Um, and keeping the whole dream alive whilst we try and do that is really challenging. Really, really, really difficult to do. Yeah, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where the ink hits the paper. It is, it is. But, you know, there's, there's kind of, there's three T's, I think, I say you often need, like, so I can remember them. There's, um, there's talent, tenacity, and timing. That's the three T's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And timing is one that sometimes you can't really... You can't. You can't really control. You can't. So, you know, we have the talent or the technology. And believe me, I have the tenacity, you know. Um, yeah, I have a lot of tenacity. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> So let's widen out a bit. Um, what signals do you track in the market overall to know what is hot in music innovation? I mean, you're, obviously your your history with physics goes back much further than the work you're doing in, in music. But um, are there things that you're keeping an eye on out there that lets you know this is a direction to go in terms of the music side of innovation? I think I'm a bad person. I don't really follow anything or read anything or watch anything. I just like to follow the things around me, the people around me, the people I know, the experiences I have, the things I think about. I'm very much an in-the-moment person, so I don't really spend much time looking over my shoulder. Um, I just just seem to be looking ahead at what's in front of me. So it's a bit of a lame answer. You know, I'm not tracking future trends. Um, I'm honestly just plowing my own furrow, um, seeing what's in front of me, doing what interests me, what excites me, and hoping that that relates to the people around me. I like it. In a way, you're 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 sort of stepping outside of the reality of what you're seeing right now, and more going inward to the imagination and uh, and and responding to whatever's happening right now based on what comes out. Yeah, I think you know if I wanna if I wanna understand the world around me, I'll go and talk to the trees. Um, and and I know that sounds a bit woo woo, and I always used to think that. That's woo woo. Like, how does someone talk to a tree? But you know, <clears throat> if I walk through a forest and I don't play any music and I walk through a forest on my own for hours, or I 
climb a mountain and I walk on a mountain for hours or days. And I just think, I have thoughts that I would never have had, had I not been in that forest. When I step through the stream, when I step over the stones, when I duck under the branches, when I walk around the trees, my interaction with nature causes me, it it perturbs my thoughts and it causes me to have thoughts and a conversation in my head with myself that I would not otherwise have had. So why can I not say that conversation is with a tree or with a stone or with a river, you know, or with a mountain? Because I would not have had that conversation had I not done that. And the way I see it is, I'm like a needle on a record. And the trail that I pick through the forest is the groove on the record. And the thoughts I have in my head is the music that comes from that record. So when I walk through the forest, I'm playing nature's record and I'm listening to that tune. And I'll say to anyone, if you don't like the thoughts in your head, change the fucking record. Well, I had more questions, but I think we should end right there. Honestly, I feel like uh, I think we've gotten a really great window into how you think and, and what you're working on. It's it's super awesome. I'll ask you one last one last thing before we wrap up, though, Kate. Um, on the Music Tectonics podcast, we like to get sci-fi. Do, 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 do. You painted a picture of this magic world where technology kind of um, sinks back into the environment that we don't have to see it. We don't have to interact with it. Sometimes it's still there if we want it or we need it, but there's this magical world. Can you imagine in say five to 10 years, maybe 20 years, what are things going to look like once that happens with music and, and, and interactivity in your, your vision of this magical world? I just think things will look ordinary, but the experiences will be extraordinary. So, you know, if I want to like, I don't know, maybe you're just driving your car and you want to like tap along to the music. Why is the wheel, why is the steering wheel not some kind of like musical instrument that you can actually tap some beats on? Or, you know, as I walk along the floor, why can that not trigger sounds? Or as I touch things on my clothes, why can that not make some, make some music? If I want to collaborate um, on a musical experience, why can I not touch a wall? Something I'd love to build. And I keep talking about it and don't do it. I want to build a wall with a projector that's projecting onto it. um, And that whole wall is a touch surface. And I can touch anywhere on that projected image. And it will create music and change the music. But the visual, because it's projected, will change. So now I could DJ from a wall an amazing visual experience, an amazing landscape, visuals, that I touch and I pull things apart with my hands and I move things to a different part of the wall that changes the sounds and I pull other instruments in. Why could I not DJ from something that's really visual instead of hiding behind a pair of DJ decks that someone observes are not even plugged in? I love it. I want to DJ there and I want to dance to that party as well. Dr. Kate Stone, yes. this has been an absolute blast. I love your vision. I love where you come from, where you're going. I can't wait to run into you somewhere, some festival or possibly some forest somewhere across the stream and see what needles hitting what vinyl in our lives. If people want to connect with you or Navalia, where should they find you? You can go to my website, which is drkatestone.com. I'll spell that. Delta, Romeo, Kilo, Alpha, Tango, Echo, Sierra, Tango, Oscar, November, Echo. 
Um, or if you want to contact me on Ham, ham Radio, it's KD2RYD, Kilo Delta 2, Romeo Yankee Delta. So if I want to use my Ham Radio speak, I can say 7-3 and clear on your final. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye! You're listening to Music Tectonics.